Morning, friends. So did anybody get woken up this morning at 5 a.m.? How loud was that, right? Was that crazy? Dude, did you, you're, out, you're about in the boonies. You don't know. Man, we had this outrageous thunderstorm. I mean, it was like right over my house. It was so, so loud. I, 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 you guys like thunderstorms, lightning storms? You don't? You slept through it? That is inhuman. It was so loud. I love those things. I wish it, I wish it was a time that I was like out of bed and able to watch and see. And then did anybody, I didn't hear a confirmation. Did it hail after it? Because it was, the rain was loud. It was, like, it was like on a tin roof, but I don't have a tin roof. So I'm like, well, something else is going on. It's wonderful when God reveals his power in a way. Well, open your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter nine. Um, we're not gonna remain there, but we're gonna, we're gonna be skimming around, and I, but we're gonna, we're gonna try to set up what's going on here today by beginning in Luke chapter nine. Luke 9, in particular Luke 9, 51, is the turning point of Luke's gospel. And this whole story that he's telling, something happens. This is the pivot point of the whole gospel. From here on out, everything's going to be different. So take a look or listen here and what he says. Luke 9, 51 says, As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Okay, that's it right there. This is the moment where the Son of God sets his face like flint for Jerusalem, knowing that when he gets there, he's gonna be viciously beaten and, and, and unjustly executed. It is coming. And at this moment here, Luke, Luke 9, 51, he sets his face like flint. Now, he sets his face. What that, what that image means is bar, borrowing from the servant songs in Isaiah, but it means that he is determined to get there, right? But he doesn't just set his face because he's determined to get there, but because he knew that what awaited him there was a scourging and an execution, a brutal murder that would be so agonizing, so hideous, that we would have to invent a word to capture its horrors, that word is excruciating, which comes from the word crucifixion. And when something horrible must be endured, it's best to decide it once. You set your face and you never question it again. And that's exactly what Jesus does in Luke 9, 51. He set his face for Jerusalem. And now from this point on, for the rest of Luke, he's going to constantly remind us that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and when he gets there, he's going to be killed. He's heading for a cross. So take a look. We're just going to kind of skim through Luke. Go up to Luke 13, 22. It says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. All right. Thank you, Luke. I'd forgot that's where we were going. Luke 13, 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and he said to him, leave this place. Go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus replies, go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and I will heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. He's saying nothing's gonna keep me, take me off my game. I will keep going to Jerusalem where I will die. And then in 1334, he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets 
and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jerusalem is the place where the prophets die, and that is where we are headed. And then in 1711, it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now what you need to know here is that absolutely nothing happens in this passage that has anything to do with Jerusalem. But Luke thought that perhaps you forgot where they were headed, all right? Jesus has the same thought, apparently, because in 1831, this happens. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. And then in Luke 19, 11, it says this. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Do you know why he told them a parable? Because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And then at the end of that parable, in 1928, the conclusion of that little story that he tells, Luke bookends it like this. And after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Okay, over and over and over. I mean, just keep saying it over and over and over again. Now, does anybody know what day it was when Jesus finally makes it to the city? When does he finally get to the outskirts, to the edge of Jerusalem? Do you know? Today. This is the day, okay? Now, as we read this, as he finally gets there, it's going to say in the text that he gets to Bethany. And this wouldn't be obvious to you if you happen to, like, have maps of Israel embedded in your head. But Bethany is a suburb of Jerusalem. He's, he's just on the cusp of the city, okay? And he, he's finally here. So if this was a horror movie... This is the part that you're going to watch through your fingers because we've been waiting for this. We've been building to this. And now he's here and it's going to be, it's going to be hideous. Okay, so here's what happens. Verse 29, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying this colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracle they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is stunning. Right? This is surprising. This is not what we have been led to believe. He has finally made it to the edge of Jerusalem and we're waiting for the brutality and instead, none of that happens. Like, what is the deal with this, right? He is greeted as king with all the lead up. This should be like, well, that's weird. This is not what we thought, right? This is going so much better than we had expected. They laud him. 
They praise him. They start ripping apart the trees, which must have annoyed the tree owners. They start tearing these palm trees apart to line the road so that his donkey will have a soft place to, to step, right? How ludicrous is that? I mean, I think the donkey's gonna be fine, but they honor him and they praise him and they, they extol him as king. They don't reject him. In fact, they visualize their desire for him to be enthroned as king and they begin to sing to him Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is this ancient psalm um, and it's about the Messiah. It's got, it has the line in it. We heard it earlier er, this evening. Eric read it to us. Um, it has the line that the, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And it's, this, it is a, it's a messianic psalm. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is the line that, we, that Steve read from Psalm 18, Psalm 118 showing up here in, in, in this, this um, holy moment, right? We love this moment. We've been celebrating this as a church for hundreds of years, joining in this ancient tradition of praising him because it's true. They were right. He's come to be enthroned as king. But something else that we know is that a lot is going to happen this week and crowds are fickle. We might read this and be surprised that, oh, hey, Jesus may have exaggerated a little bit. Things aren't going that poorly, but he didn't. And Jesus is not taken in by it for a second. He knows exactly where this story is going. The crowds are fickle and their hosannas will soon, very soon, turn to cries of crucify. That's gonna be later this week. And in fact, I hope that you might join us all week long. We, we have a long-standing tradition of, of living out, reenacting in some way this week. It starts really tonight. We always have our CHS downtown service at seven o'clock. It'll begin tonight a little bit earlier at 6.30, right, Steve? Is it 6.30? We're gonna have a, a time of praise and worship. So if you wanna come down and join us for that, we would be delighted to have you. And you can have, check out the property and see the, the folks that are regularly part of that community as we begin this tonight on Palm Sunday. But then on Thursday night, we're gonna gather right here, not downtown, but just, just here at seven o'clock for our annual kind of reliving of Jesus, the, the night of the Last Supper. Communion that we celebrate every week kind of has its, its, not exactly its origin, essentially its origin was on this Thursday night, Maundy Thursday, as Jesus was living out the Jewish Passover that had been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years and he was, he was explaining the meaning that it always had but perhaps had not been fully understood. And we have taken that moment and we've, we commemorate, commemorize it every Sunday, but really this once a year. So come, join us for Monday Thursday. We'd love to have you join us there. And then on Friday night, we will also be marking the crucifixion on this Good Friday. Um, quick, do we call it a celebration? Is that, I don't even know if we call it a celebration. On this Good Friday commemoration service, this, worship, this time of worship, Chris Poff has been building for us new crosses that we will have. And we have this um, practice that we will do. We will come down to the front of the church and you can nail, you write out your sins on a piece of paper and nail them to a cross. And, um, and it is this, you guys, this is ominous moment to be in this room and all is silent except for the ceaseless pounding of hammers on nails. And I hope that you'll come, that you'll be with us as we live out this week that's, that's coming. Jesus sees it, he knows it's happening. And this moment, this strange surprise of a crowd that greets him with love and adoration, it's a vapor, it's a mist, and it doesn't last long. And in fact, I want to show you something here that I think is 
as stunning as it is, the greeting and the welcome that he gets, something even more surprising happens. Take a look at this. This is still Luke 19. This is just the next verse. Pick it up in verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem, this is the final step to the city. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now let me ask you a question. If you had been walking for days and weeks to get to the place of your torture and execution, of whom would you be thinking when you got there? For whom would you weep? I would be thinking of me because my own concerns occupy a significant amount of space in my mind. I mean, I am sorry to hear that you have cancer, but I got this paper cut and it is killing me right now. And when Jesus shows up, when he gets to the city of his death, he weeps for the city. Who is this guy, right? He knows that in 40 years, in 70 AD, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Their rejection of him will culminate in this overwhelming judgment. I mean, it will, it has. This is a fact of history. In 70 AD, Jerusalem was demolished. And when Jesus crests the hill and he sees the city, their future suffering is the thing that floods his mind. That is astonishing. That event, four decades in the future, has greater emotional immediacy to him than his own agony that is just a few days away. Who is this guy? You guys, if anybody ever had the right to be self-concerned, it was Jesus. Because what awaits him in mere days will be horrendous. But the cross is just pushed from his mind by his love and concern for those that he came to save. That is amazing. It is simply his nature to love. And guys, I hope that gives you hope. I hope that floods your heart with an anticipation that things might turn out well for you. Guys, he sees your pain and he loves you. Over this next week, it is good and right that we should focus on his suffering. We will, right? We call it, it's called Holy Week. It's called Passion Week because it's a week of pain. Passion's a strange word, right? Passion has really two meanings. It means pain, but what else does it mean? It means love. That these two things would mix in such, a, such an overwhelming way is why we call it Passion Week. There is so much misery about to be unleashed on him. And it is proper that this would move us in our hearts to love the one who loved us. But you guys, just never lose sight of this fact. The reason that we love him is because he first loved us. Our love is always a response. It's always a reflection to his initiating love. And that's exactly what he was doing as he enters into the city. He was loving them. And I think, you guys, that if you believed, if this could sink in, 
if you believed that he loves you as much as he does, if you really thought it was true that his pain is on your mind, that he cares about your loneliness, that he's mindful of the ways that you have been overlooked, that your, your disappointment, that your life is just not turning out the way that you imagined it would, or maybe, maybe it's your fears and your insecurities about your abilities your, or perhaps your inabilities. Maybe it's simply your regret over the foolish things that you've done, some ruinous decision that you can't take back. Guys, if you knew his tenderness and all of that to you, even in the midst of his own greater agony, I think it would flood your heart with hope, which would then turn into a reflective love to him. And that's where we want to be this week as we walk through this Passion Week with him. Guys, we will focus on him, but he's focused on you. He loves you. And your suffering, even in this moment, is of greater immediacy to him. His enthronement as king will be unlike any other because his throne will be a cross. His crown will be made of thorns. And I hope that you have a rich week this year in particular as we focus on it with him. Come with us as we celebrate the enthronement of the king who came to die for us. Indeed, let's pray. Jesus, we exalt you, we lift you, we, we sing praise to you. We say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are the blessed one. And yet what a strange blessing it is. Jesus, what is it like to be on the eve of such deep suffering and yet to be thinking of others? God, I pray that we here wouldn't just see that as an example of love, but as an experience, that we would come to understand that you'd speak to our hearts, that we would believe that you love us, you love me, you love her, you love him, and that that would change us and transform us. What would you make us to be a people like that, that reflect and respond to this outrageous love? We do love you, Jesus. Maybe not as much as you love us, but we do love you, and we'll lift up your name. Amen.